I remember going up for my performance and I was like, okay, the gold is gone. And back then it wasn't like a, oh, you know, just give it your best and you'll still get it. I like, it wasn't possible. Um, even with my best score, a perfect score. And I remember having to battle this feeling of like, what's the point now? Mm. And like, why do you go out? And all in a split second, I was kind of like, okay, now this is actually what I've worked for. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Players Pod, where we talk to some of the biggest names in sports about the untold stories behind their success. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and my guest today is Sean Johnston East. Sean Johnson East might have one of the longest and most unique resumes in the world of sports today. As a gymnast, Sean won four Olympic medals, one of which being gold, five Pan American Games gold medals, and was an all-around world champion. Outside of gymnastics, Sean is a New York Times best-selling author, a prolific and prominent YouTube creator, and a Dancing with the Stars champion, and a mother of two. Today, we're going to talk about all the twists and turns that Sean's life has taken. Sean, welcome to the show. Thank you. I I don't know what to say to that intro. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's so it's funny. Uh, so many of the guests, when we like run through it, they get the biggest smiles on their faces. And it's just <laughs> yeah. like cool to see them be like, oh, damn, like I've done all that. That's, you know, really impressive. So um, super excited to talk to you today. Obviously, like the intro said, one of the longest and most unique resumes in sports. And we're going to start in sports, which as everyone knows, you are the most incredible gymnast and 2008 was your Olympics. But before we get into the Olympic games and how that experience was for you, I want to know at what point during your childhood or, you know, getting into gymnastics, doing gymnastics, did you think, or no, you'd go to an Olympic Games. Oh my gosh. I don't feel like you ever know. That's a scary You don't thing. think? Oh, like I don't at, think so. at what point were you like, I'm on track to, to go to the Olympics? I I will say, I think I was kind of in denial the whole time. And I think that really? had to do with being so young. But I do yeah. remember my first world championships when I got the gold. I was literally standing next to my idols within the sport. And I was like, I don't know what just happened. But somehow, like, I am wearing the gold medal and they're wearing silver and bronze. And this is really weird. And I remember <laughs> having, like, the first feeling where I was like, uh-oh, okay, um, maybe this isn't just a fluke. And I should start taking it seriously, I guess, to a certain extent. And, and that was what year? That was in 2015. So, like, the – or, oh, my gosh. Years. I'm in, like, the wrong decade. Um, when you were 15. <laughs> yeah. It went, when I was 15. So, 2007, the year before the Olympics. Okay. Because I think my whole career, I had the idea of the Olympics and I knew if I was training for one, it would be in 2008. And I, I do remember in 2007, making that world championship team doing well and being like, okay, I think next year might actually like, this might happen. Yeah, that's incredible. And what I, what I find so interesting about gymnasts is that it all happens at such a young age. Like yeah. you said, you were, you were 15 and you're standing there with a gold medal around your neck with your idols thinking, oh, I might be going to the Olympics next year. So after you got that gold and you kind of, you finally felt like this is a, this is a real possibility. How did the next year develop in leading in to the Olympics? Like, did anything change or was it just like, no, I'm on track, keep going? 
part of me was like just on track, keep going. My, I think my coach was working very, very hard to maintain that mentality. Mm. But I do think after world championships, my mindset changed where, you know, it was a year out and the world started doing the countdown and I had the calendar in my room and it was like, oh, we're 361 days. Now we're 360. I um, love that. So I started feeling that just like pressure build mm. um, a year out. I remember my coach, he started a thousand day countdown, which really is just excessive. Like nobody needs That's to what? Know. Three, a little. Three years. Over, yeah. Yeah. Two Don't ever do that. That just really <laughs> messes with your mentality. Um, but I do remember doing the year countdown and I was like, okay, this is, it's game on today counts for the next 300 days. And I, I just remember trying to grind the whole time, like try not to take a day off, which was terrifying because it builds such anticipation and pressure on you, but it made yeah. it that much more exciting. I feel, but also I feel like there are no days off in gymnastics. Like, did you guys get days off? Because the training that gymnasts go through is some of the most intense and grueling I've ever heard of in the sports world. So no, we don't get it. Thank you. <laughs> it's, it's brutal. <laughs> I also can't yeah, run. So I tried to do soccer and I quit when I went to the big field, which is a joke. Um, I just went in and out of the box every two seconds. Um, but gymnastics, we don't have an off season. So we train all year, we compete all year and we might only compete three or four times, but it's like January, July, August, December. Um, so yeah, we don't really get a day off. Um, uh, my coach was really, really good about that, about doing like peaks and valleys through the year mm. where he would give us weekends off or like holidays or extended holidays. And we would have more light um, light training where it was more fun than serious. So he tried to give that to us, but yeah, there's no, no season off, which is, yeah, it's, it could have, could have never done it. Would have never been able to do it going into the games. You're 16. And are you 16 at that point? Like when you get to the games, are you still 15? I turned 16 January of 2008 competed in August. so. So you're 16 and you're about to go to the Olympics. And again, this is an outsider looking in and, and, you know, seeing how I've been to an Olympics. I've seen how it goes down with all the pressure that builds, like you talked about, but also the media, the sponsorships, there's just so much that happens, especially around Olympics that seems a bit nuts that a 16 year old has to kind of shoulder And so not only are you training almost every single day, but you're having to do probably a lot of other obligations. Mm -hmm. How was that for you leading into the games? Was it, was it, was it less as the games approached? And then obviously after the games with your success, it skyrocketed or like, how did you handle that as a 16 year old? Because when I was 16, I was like trying to get my driver's license and, make A's on my test, you know, and you're like having to, having to juggle signing contracts and doing media appearances, but also the pressure to prepare to be successful at an Olympics. I think it's simpler than you imagine because at 16, since I was a minor, I didn't really have a say in any of it and not to it, like not to a controlling extent. My, my agent, my parents, my coach would be like, do you want to sign with Nike? And it's like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> why not? <laughs> but it, it truly came down to 
behind the scenes now being older and kind of learning what all went on, it was this huge game that my agent, my parents and my coach played in trying to maintain that balance for me. Um, my parents were always on the side of like, we just want her to be a normal kid. We want her to be able to go to prom. We want her to like go eat Dairy Queen at the end of the day. <laughs> my coach was the one probably yelling at my agent saying she can't do appearances. She can't leave practice. They can't come in. We can't distract her. And then you have the agent who's like, I need her every single day of the year for press and all this stuff. So on my side of it, I wasn't really bothered by it. We, I had very, very few days where um, the press inside that, that world took over. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would say for the most part, I came after, but my coach and my, my team did a very good job at kind of keeping me isolated from that. Cause you see now I, I could not handle it now. Are you kidding? Oh my God. I'd be like, I'd crack under pressure. But yeah. And I feel like it was before social media. I mean, 2008 was before Instagram, before Twitter, you know, so thank God <laughs> it was a different world that was a bit more, you could keep it, like you said, a little bit more isolated. There wasn't as much access as people have today, I would say. But still, to me, it's just like crazy to think, especially in gymnasts. I mean, some swimmers are pretty young too, but they're just so young going into yeah. these games. I, I will say a really interesting aspect to kind of my story was my coach. Um, very long background summarized. He was an elite and Olympic level athlete or gymnast for China and kind of had that, that lifestyle of it all got to him. It was all chaotic. He had to leave his family. He trained way too much. He couldn't be a kid. And he actually moved to the United States and opened a gym with the, with the goal in mind of, I wanted, he wanted to raise Olympians that were also able to have a balanced life. And so his mission the whole time was how can I celebrate these kids, but also see them as successful, like Olympic athletes. So I got, yeah. I got very, very lucky. We Dang. got to like play games and do ridiculous stuff and not train as an elite level mindset athlete might. Was that something that your parents knew about him and that's how you ended up with him or you just lucked out? Just lucked out. My parents Dang. chose that gym because it was the closest and saved gas money. So. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. That's, that's great. It's just, that's, yeah. it makes sense. That's life. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. That's so good. Um, okay. So you're, you're, you make the Olympics. What is that moment like for you? Oh, it was a, a crap moment. I, I was it. Oh my gosh. Again, I was like, oh my God, now I have to do this. Yeah. And as a 16 year old <laughs> kid, it's just like, what do you mean? Like I'm going to the Olympics and I, I personally believe Olympic trials was the hardest competition of my life, mm. more so than the Olympics, because Olympic trials, it's kind of like, if you screw this up, you don't even get to go. And yeah. so I remember feeling just like I was going to puke the whole time during Olympic trials. Um, but when I got named to the team, it was just kind of a giddy feeling. I felt like I got asked to prom by the cutest boy. Oh. Um, I also think to a certain extent, though, there was um, a benefit to being so young because I, I didn't have that ability yet to comprehend the magnitude of the Olympic Games. Mm, yeah. I, I, I saw it as the coolest competition, but I, I didn't understand at that age the level of um, eyes and pressure that actually came with it. I can, I can, um, I, that resonates with me because I feel like 
I was much older, my first Olympic Games. But mm-hmm. even then, it was more so like, oh, my God, Olympics is something I've looked up to my yeah. whole life. Like, to be an Olympian is the coolest thing ever. This is so exciting. I obviously feel, felt immense pressure, but I feel like in my game since, it's been more pressure than just, like, giddy excitement. Well, that was actually one of the reasons I retired is I feel like when you get to a certain age, and it, it probably varies amongst each person in each sport, but when I got to 20, which is young, um, I calculated things so much differently. I kind of mm. started to see what could go wrong instead of what could go right. And I started to see, oh, the consequences of letting down Fortune 500 companies and the potential of injury and the potential of reputation. And all of that is something you, you aren't able to comprehend as a kid, which I think is makes it a lot easier. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And it's it makes it makes me sad to think about, you know, like why can't we all go into competitions regardless of age and experience with that same, what could I succeed in or how could I succeed as opposed to like, what, what might I fail in? Absolutely. Something I think about a lot actually, but that you just said it very, very well. Um, Well, and I think too, as a kid, I was, of course I didn't want to fail or fall, but that disappointment was going to be on me. I didn't, I didn't feel the disappointment of the world yet and i i truly like you said i wish we could hang on to that because you lose this the fun of sport when you let that sink in yeah i absolutely agree well you do very well in <laughs> in your first olympics how did the whole experience feel for you can you talk about it we've had um Nastia on the podcast before and she talked a lot about the Olympics about y'all's relationship there um but just kind of talk about yeah just just walk us through what 2008 Olympics was for you how it felt just give us a little Nastia edged me out I know I know Um, and I want to I want to know about that yeah that (laughs) was that was actually the hardest that was the hardest emotional feeling I've ever felt like to date in competition because she was my best friend. She was my um, roommate. She was my teammate, but she was also my biggest competitor. And on Monday, we would wake up and be teammates. And on Tuesday, we would wake up and have to compete the the individual competition and be competitors. And that was very hard. And I remember during the all-around competition, which was both of our like specialties, um, we were always one and two. So if I won one, she won the next. And it was always back and forth. And on that day, we got to the last event and I remember looking at the scores and I was like, crap, like I, this is close. This is really close. And we were the last two competitors on the last event. She went up before me and I saw her score. And I remember just thinking, I don't want you to fall, but I don't necessarily <laughs> want you to do your best. Like, yeah. you like do a little wobble for me, like yeah. silver <laughs> for the United States, but maybe whatever. Um, and I remember watching her performance and it was just flawless and I saw her score and I was like, can't beat that. Um, and it was just, it was this interesting feeling of, I was so proud of her and I was so happy for her and I was so heartbroken and that that's a hard, it was a really hard thing to, to navigate as a kid. And I remember going up for my performance and I was like, okay, the gold is gone. And Mm. back then it wasn't like a, oh, you know just give it your best and you'll still get it. I like, it wasn't possible. Um, even with my best score, a perfect score. And I remember having to battle this feeling of like, what's the point now? Mm. And like, why do you go out? And 
all in a split second, I was kind of like, okay, now this is actually what I've worked for. And my coach had taught me from day one, it should never be about an award. It should never be about the medal or the color. It should be about how you feel. And I was like, what better way to kind of end my, my journey. And it was the most fun I've ever felt in the competition. Cause I could have cared less about the, um, the award. Cause I knew it was gone. Um, and I, I just had a blast. I remember bawling my eyes out by the end of it. And I was like, that was, that was pretty cool. And gave my coach the biggest hug, saw number two by my name. And I was like, let's do this silver. All righty. And it was, it was great. It was an incredible um, experience to experience with her and a growing experience for us. She probably told you we didn't talk for eight years after that. (laughs) Yeah. Which is just like heavy. It is. And it had nothing to do with um, our feelings towards each other. I think with, the adults that surrounded us navigating competition differently, they taught us to kind of alienate each other. Whereas we, as kids who truly just loved sport and loved competition, we didn't feel any, you know, um, spite towards each other. We, we wanted to celebrate each other, but the world told us we weren't allowed, which was really weird. Yeah. I still think y'all have one of the most fascinating like friendship competitor (laughs) stories in sports. Like I think it's incredible what you guys went through in 2008, that fierce competition were roommates at the games, like waking up next to each other and be like, okay, I'm going to go try to beat you. And I hope you wobble just a little bit. (laughs) And and then to go from being so close and then, like you said, not talking for eight years, just and, and now you guys are back in each other's lives and she's your uh, daughter's godmother. Yeah, we're so amazing. We're inseparable. We're, we're best friends. And yeah, I think you you know this just as well as anybody. Your teammates are your your sisters. They're your family. And I think just like family, you can go through phases where things are hard, but those eight years were really hard on us. We didn't like it. I, I, I stalked her everywhere. <laughs> I knew exactly what she was doing. I'd be like, oh, oh. I, I just like, I was her biggest fan the whole time and vice versa. And even at the Olympics, um, the reason why I think we were so close is because we were such fierce competitors. We loved our sport so much and we loved challenging our limitations so much. She was my limitation. And every time she showed up to the gym with a new skill, I'd be like, oh, well, uh oh, now I got to go even like I got to try even harder. And we just loved that about each other. And it was it was really hard for those eight years. But when we finally reconnected, which was a joke, because we sat down, we're like, why didn't we talk for eight years? Oh, I don't know. Okay, I miss you. And that was it. It Like, it was the best. (laughs) And yeah, yeah. So it's it's so good. It's interesting you do an individual sport, right? So obviously everyone is um, your competition. Mm-hmm. And, but in team sports, especially with the national team, because it's not like a club team where, you know, you're on a contract, you're there, you're there to stay with, with soccer, with the full team, all of, we're on a team together, but we're all competing for spots, you yeah. know, finite spots on a roster for the world cup, for the Olympics, or even a starting spot, you know, only one person's going to play that position. So I get it. It's, it's, you, you, you can, you can be close with somebody or the closest with somebody, but still they're the ones who are pushing you to be your very best because they are your competition. Yep. (laughs) Crazy. So, but you do. Okay. So you win, you win silver. 
Yes. Um, and again, I see it as winning silver because like you said, you, you, you had the thought of like, what's the point? But then you still had to go out there and you still won it in the all around. Um, you also win gold in beam, correct? Yes. How did that fall uh, chronologically? Like when was the beam routine and then when was all around? So we started, say, Monday. We did team competition. And then after team, you do all your individual events, which go vault, bars, and for some reason at that Olympics, it went floor beam. So our team all around and then the, the whatever. So we Got did it. all around and it was like three days later that I had the beam final. Okay. I also did the floor final and then be, ended with beam. So that was the very okay. last day of the Olympics. Um, and that, and you ended on gold. And I ended on gold. So how'd that feel? Um, you're going to laugh. Because, <laughs> I can't wait. Yes. So with the all around, this is, I'll try to summarize this too. Um, I felt like I gave my absolute best performance, like best I could ever have done. And I truly felt like I won silver, just like you said. And I remember going into like the press line afterwards and all the questions were like, how does it feel to lose? Mm, and that was such like an emotional, so tough. oh, it's so tough. And it was, it was all these questions of like, what could you have done better? Would you have trained differently? Are you going to come back in 2012? Like all of these things as if I had not done enough. Mm. And again, going back to what my coach taught me, it should never be about the medals. It should be about that question. You ask yourself at the end of your game, your competition, did you do your best? If you can say yes, and there should be nothing left. And I answered that question to myself. I, I gave my all and it was my best performance and I won the silver. And I, I just felt like emotionally confused by the response of the world. Um, so then fast forward the beam competition, um, I went out and did my routine. It was the last, I was the last one to compete again, which is always the worst. Cause you have to wait forever. I'm sure. And at the end of the competition, my coach and I have this just kind of routine that we do after every competition, he kind of looks at me and asks that question. Like, how do you think you did? And we just kind of made eye contact and like gave each other a hug and we just started giggling because we both knew it was not my best performance. Oh, really? It was not my best. Okay. And I distinctly remember turning and looking at the scoreboard and there was a number one by my name for like the gold. And we just looked at each other and busted out laughing and we're like, okay. And so in a sense, the silver felt more fulfilling because mm. I knew that was my best. And the beam, the gold medal was incredible. Like to win that for the United States is what the, why I felt proud but it wasn't my best. And mm -hmm. so I personally was like, ah, oh, well, I didn't do this as best as I could. So I was my own harshest critic. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. And <laughs> such like a good insight into how you could, you're, you're winning a gold medal, but you're like, mm, could have been a bit better. It could have been better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so again, you have incredible, you have incredible games, um, controversy surrounding, you and Nastia, you guys kind of, that's when you drift apart. Post-Olympics, mm -hmm. did you go through like a, people talk about like the post-Olympics depression, post-Olympic blues. Did you feel that? Oh, absolutely. I felt what like- What was it like? I feel like I ran as fast and as hard as I could into a brick wall. I, mm. again, I think now this is where the age played against me. Um. As a 16-year-old, the only thing I had focused on for probably 12 years or 10 years was gymnastics. 
yeah. like what I ate, how I worked out, who I hung out with, um, what I did after school, before school, before school, everything was about gymnastics. And as a kid, I didn't even comprehend like, oh, I need to actually plan for afterwards. So when I was technically like done competing with the Olympics, that meant I didn't have to go back to practice. That me- meant I didn't have to eat, you know, my regimented diet the next morning. I honestly can't even like articulate. I didn't know how to function as a human being. <laughs> I I completely understand. And I, I'm, it still sometimes happens to this day to me, like when yes. I leave a major tournament, because everything is planned for you. Every yeah. meal, yes. every interaction, every socialization, you, you have a schedule and it's yeah. like, you get home and you're just like, what do I do with myself now? Literally. And I can't imagine doing it as a 16 year old, as a gymnast, like, yeah. Well, and I, level. I was like, I have never seen West Des Moines, Iowa at four o'clock in the evening. Like, I don't, I don't know what it looks like. Like, do I, I, do I go grocery shopping? Cause like, that's usually taken care of. Like I, I truly felt lost. I felt like a lost little scared puppy. It was weird. Um, It makes sense. But yeah, I I had no idea what to do. I kind of aimlessly wandered around and just did what opportunities came towards me till I, found myself back into gymnastics because I was in the post-Olympic blues and didn't know what to do. Well, one of the things that you found yourself in post-Olympics, 2009, you do Dancing with the Stars. Yes. <laughs> yes. How did that opportunity come about? What made you decide to say yes? Uh, being naive. Um, it was <laughs> the great. What do you mean? You, did, you was, did great. It was incredible. And it was the greatest experience. It was truly I've had the opportunity to do quite a few different shows. I don't know if that's cringy or good. Um, And that one was by far the friendliest, the most fun, the production team, every single person was so nice. Um, But I was invited to go watch a show after the Olympics, just kind of like you get inundated with opportunities to make appearances and do things. So I went and sat in the audience and thought it was literally like Cinderella on the dance floor. Um, again, being so regimented as a gymnast, everything is very just by the book. Um, there's no glitz and glam to it, especially back when I was competing and it was so glitz and glam in Hollywood. And I just thought it was cool. And I remember at the end of that show that I got to go watch, the producers asked me to like, come back into the studio with them and my agent, they said, do you want to be on the show? And I kind of thought it was a joke and impulsively I was like, yeah. And then it didn't even hit me until later. Like what the crap did I just sign up for like I'm gonna be on national television in a ball gown trying to do ballroom dancing and if you know me outside of gymnastics I am painfully shy okay like send me to a wedding I'm not getting on the dance floor absolutely not I like really get really awkward and I literally started sweating I was like this is bad well I I can imagine if you if you do have that you know demeanor of being shy and not wanting to be out there but you're you are a gymnast so obviously you have rhythm you have grace you have poise which plays into being good at dancing with the stars so clearly you had an advantage stepping into that role at least a little bit maybe the yeah. shyness didn't help but um when you when you got onto the show was it what you expected it to be like did it feel what you thought 
Dancing with the Stars was going to be like? Uh, I think it was better, honestly. Really? For where I was in my life, coming from such a rigid sport and going straight into that where things were so much fun and they were so celebrated and people were so um, encouraging of one another. Not that they weren't in gymnastics. It's just things were very, very high level Olympic elite, kind of like stone cold to a certain extent. Um, but being able to go kind of play in that arena on the dance floor was was really fun. And I, I really enjoyed it. I'm sure. Uh, I I think Dancing with the Stars is the only reality TV show. Not actually, not only reality TV show I do, but competition. Like it's it just seems like such a fun. Why are you on it? Because I have no time for that. Maybe would have done, but um, but like our our schedule would never allow yeah, it. Sure. Um, Hope Solo did it. She actually did very well. But did. you did even better. You won. Hope didn't win. <laughs> I don't think. I think she got second. But um, but you won. So what was like? Was winning the mirror, was it called the mirror ball back then? The mirror ball trophy. Okay. Like, was that a moment similar to winning an Olympic gold or was it like nowhere near? Um, completely different. Yeah. Now that I'm older, not even the same, but back then it was, it was similar. As a 16 year old kid, I felt like I was on top of the world, but I remember getting down to that final, like it's you and like the runner up or whatever. And they do like the dramatic music yeah. runner up is. And I remember thinking, please don't give me a silver again. <laughs> oh, <laughs> please don't give me a silver again. Um, so I, I was really excited to, to win that. I thought it was really special, but that's awesome. Um, and really cute that that was what you were thinking yeah. <laughs> when yeah. the dramatic music was playing. Yeah. Um, so after Dancing with the Stars, it's, what is it? It's 2009, mm-hmm. 2010, you end up tearing your ACL. Yeah. And was that doing gymnastics or were you doing something else? I was skiing. I was going to, uh, I was hoping yeah. you wouldn't say something like that, but okay. So you were yeah. skiing. And at yep. that point, had you started to train again for 2012 or you were just. I was still fun? just living life, having fun. Okay. I went. For my 18th birthday, we went skiing. Um, cl- very cliche story. So the one rule, my coach was very, very free with whatever we were. We, we could do whatever we wanted outside of the gym. He said, you can go horseback riding. You can skydive. You can do whatever. Because nice. usually coaches are very, very controlling, um, like what you can and cannot do. Yeah. He said, but the one rule I have in my gym is you aren't allowed to ski. Of all things, obviously. So <laughs> after the Olympics, I learned to ski. And I loved it. My 18th birthday, I went skiing with a bunch of friends. Last run, last day. No. Stereotypical story. On the easiest run, took a small fall, but fell the right way and just tore everything. And I remember up until that moment, I hadn't thought about going back to gymnastics ever, really. I, I thought I was done. Okay. And I remember this is dramatic and cheesy, but I was crawled out on a yard sale on the side of a mountain. Um and I, the first thing I thought was like, cause I knew I had done something. Like I, I knew something was wrong. Um, the first thought I had was what if I could never do gymnastics again? And mm. that was day one. Dang. I, I flew home, flew, went straight back to my gym and my coach. And I said, coach, I want to come back. And he was like, yay. And I was like, but I have to go get surgery first. And he was like, you're kidding. Like, this is ridiculous. Wait, but- wait, wait, wait. So he didn't know that you had torn your ACL. No, before you told him. No, I told him I I literally said, I want to come back. And he's like, great, you can start tomorrow. And then I was like, I have to get surgery. So I'll see you in like six months. And 
yeah oh my gosh he wasn't too happy with me (laughs) no I can't I can only imagine the the high and then the low uh, yeah your coach felt it's that's um I don't know what the right word is pretty cool or just like meaningful that you're laying like you said on the side of a mountain yeah you've you've injured yourself you know that something's wrong with your body and your first thought is what if I could never do gymnastics again and that's how you knew you wanted to get back into it yeah I I think I needed that break and I needed a long enough break and I really didn't know if I was ever going to go back to the sport but it was it was a really cool kind of like sign that I needed as a kid to say like I I think I have unfinished business in that sport so Mm. So what did the surgery look like, recovery look like, and then intro back into gymnastics look like for you? Uh, brutal. So I'm sure. <laughs> I was a very, very lucky gymnast. My coach was OCD about everything, physical therapy and conditioning. We did 99% of our, our training was conditioning and um, 1% was skills because he, he didn't want injuries in his gym. Wow. Um, so I stayed... I had tiny little, like I broke my pinky toe or something in my career. And that was about it. So wow. I stayed very healthy. And this was the first true kind of obstacle in my career that I had to kind of get over. It was a full year because I did ACL, MCL, PCL, and hamstring. Oh I did my God. Knock on wood. Jeez. Yep. Uh, lots of screws, lots of good stuff. Um, but it was long and it was, it was very hard. And it was through the rehab process that I felt like I kind of got that, um, post Olympic depression blues even more. Um, I got more and more out of shape, more and more feeling like I wasn't able to do my sport. I, I just felt like more distanced than I was, than I had ever felt from gymnastics. And it was a long recovery. It was a lot harder than I expected, but, um, I think I, did my first competition probably almost two years after two years would it be two years. No, a year and a half after surgery. Mm. So. When did you announce it to the world that you were coming back or had you ever not announced like there was never, um, did, I mean, I feel like people probably after 2008, yeah. you weren't competing, you were doing other things. Like, did you have to give a public announcement of, I'm, I, I'm trying for 2012. I never publicly announced that I was done, but people knew I wasn't in the gym. Um, I did give a public announcement at like a, an event that I was coming back. Um, and that was before surgery. So we kind of documented the whole process. Oh, wow. Um, that was just me also being an impulsive kid. Like it wasn't like a, my agent had no idea. I even said it. I literally like went to a news station. I was like, I'm coming back. I was really dramatic and dumb as a kid. Was, was, did your agent, like, what is, what's y'all's relationship like? Oh, do, she do was like the a same second, one. Uh, not the same one anymore. Cause she was okay. a gymnastics agent. Got it. Um, she was not happy with me. <laughs> she was like a second mom. Yeah. Um, so like we loved each other, like mom and daughter, but when I, I just did stupid stuff a lot, just being naive. And yeah. when she saw that on the news, she was like, are you kidding me? Like, Really? yeah could I had a text message before like a little heads up oh man um so you you know have to get major surgery major major surgery long rehab recovery um you get back into competing but you end up retiring in 2012 Mm -hmm. what went into that decision how'd you handle it 
Um, because for me, you know, you're 20 years old yeah. and it's, Mm-hmm. you're retiring like to for to to tell a 20 or you know for a 20 year old to have to say I'm retiring like it just yeah. seems <laughs> yeah. but that's I mean that's a reality in sports but it's just such a retirement I feel like is such a big word and weighted word and for a 20 year old to have to make that decision and um know that your career is over so talk about that a little bit it was the hardest decision. Um, I think the reason why it was so hard is I couldn't, I couldn't get past the feeling of retirement, feeling like quitting. Mm. And I had a really, really hard time with that because you're taught so much as like an elite athlete that you can overcome anything. It's always a phase. It's always just a roadblock. It's always a hurdle. And I would say, so after coming back from surgery and rehab, I made it back to Pan American games and then world championships did really well. I was on the right track to like get back into the games. Um, but I just kept having, I kept struggling with my knee. I kept struggling with like little injuries. I tore a tendon in my ankle. I sprained my ankle. I, it was all these things. And I was struggling a lot mentally with, um, kind of like I, I spoke earlier with like the doubt. I doubted myself a lot. I doubted my body. I doubted my ability I started calculating what could go wrong. I got in my head. I had mental blocks. I had all these things that I had never dealt with before. And it was kind of just like this creeping on thing where I would say the entire year of 2012. So during the Olympic year, during a normal year, we might compete four times during an Olympic year, we'll compete about 10 times. So it's a lot because just the process of qualifying is very, very long. Um, I started that whole process. I got about three or four competitions in and more than anything, I just lost the heart for it. I, I tried to fight that feeling for so long. Um, but day in and day out going to practice, I just hated it. Mm-hmm. I literally hated it. And I kept thinking to myself, it's just a phase. It's just a hard phase. They'll get through it. And it just kept getting worse. And I kept signing deals. I kept kind of progressing in the sport, just thinking like, yeah. oh, just get there and it'll be worth it. And I got so close. I got to Olympic trials and I, I threw the white, I threw the white flag. I was like, I'm done. I, I can't, I literally can't do it. I cannot show up to um, Olympic trials and compete. I just don't want to. Wow. And every single person in my team thought I was certifiably crazy. <laughs> They're like, you like Olympic trials are next week and you're on track to make the team and And you're going to retire and you're going to tell Nike and Coca-Cola and McDonald's. I just don't feel like doing it. And I was like, yeah. And it caused a lot of tension, a lot of tension. I'm I'm sure. Did people try to talk you out of it? Oh yeah. People were mad. People were very mad, but I was butting heads with a lot of people within like the organization and my body was just different that time. And gymnastics has come a very, very long way, but especially back then it was still this mindset of survival of the fittest and they would just run us into the ground. And my body at that time was not able to train that way anymore. And I had to be very, very smart about what I did. And I could Mm -hmm. perform really well if I had that freedom to do it as I needed. And that's just not how the program operated. So I butt heads with um, the leaders of that organization a lot. 
And it got to a point where I was just fighting them so much that it just wasn't worth it. I knew that if I knew that if I went under their guidelines, I was going to break. And I, Mm. I just knew it wasn't my time anymore. That's incredible. I did not realize that that was the timeline. Yeah. Your retirement (laughs) happened. Yeah, it was, it was brutal, but the, the behind the scenes, what was hard is like that entire year I was skipping practices. I was doing things half-heartedly. I was taking vacation. Like I, my coaches even knew it. They, they were trying to let the phases pass, but it just, Mm. they weren't passing, which was hard. Yeah, it is. It's, I like how you put it phases because as an athlete, you're gonna, there's going to be times when you don't like your sport when you don't want to go to training you don't want to you know even a game for me game like I'm like oh my god I can't believe I have to play this game right now but they pass and for you it was clearly something that wasn't going to pass and those those phases are okay to happen but like Mm -hmm. it's they you you have to see a light at the end of the tunnel Mm -hmm. and when it just becomes constant Mm -hmm. and that passion is gone for me, I've always said I will play soccer as long as I still love it first and foremost yep. and then my body can do it. And yep. it's interesting to hear you talk about coming to the decision of retiring. Those two things were what had gone. Well, and I truly believe my body was going because my mind went. Mm. I, I feel like if you love it so much, you can overcome all of it. Like you yeah. can deal with the aches and pains. But those little aches and pains that used to be nothing seemed so large and so hard to get through. And it just, everything became a bigger deal. And I think my, um, the one point where I was like, I kind of like knew in my heart, I hadn't announced it yet, but I knew it was Nike was so helpful. They, they were a partner of mine back then. And they actually got me the opportunity to work firsthand, like daily with the best sports psychologist in the world. Like he was incredible and they took care of it and everything. And I remember starting to sit down with um, him and kind of work through these sessions of trying to get through these phases. And I remember sitting down for these sessions and just thinking, this is cool, but I'm done. Like Mm. in my heart, it wasn't even... He was, he was saying the most brilliant things. And I was like, no, dude, you can't convince me. Like, and And this is very profound, but it's not going to change what I feel in my heart. Yeah. So I just kind of knew that. And I was like, this, uh, I'm done with it. Wow. Once you publicly announced it, did you feel a weight off your shoulders or did you feel like a loss? No, I felt like the happiest. Oh, Oh my gosh. I felt like I was on top of the world and it was, it was a very long process getting there. Um, well, yes and no. So like I had to call all of my partners and sponsors and like literally hand back agreements and money and like everything. Oh, like, it was dying. Done. It was, it was ma- major damage control. Um, and I felt bad doing that, but I felt so free doing that. Yeah. And it felt like I was actually doing it for me. Um, yeah, it was the greatest feeling. I got to go to 2012 and actually work and I was the happiest I had ever been. And it was really, yeah. Oh, that's incredible to hear. I feel like that's when, you know, I mean, yeah, you made the right decision. Had it been the opposite, that would have been brutal. Yeah. Like you're, you're <laughs> on the sideline reporting and you're like, dang, I wish I was in that leotard right now. You know, no, I, I didn't have a single feeling that way. I was like, good oh. for you guys. I'm good. Yeah. 
have fun out there. (laughs) Enjoy that pressure. Oh, man. Well, you had an amazing, amazing gymnastics career. Like you said, you've done a lot of things since in between the, you know, 2008, 2012. Um, but I would say maybe as good as your gymnastics career is your YouTube channel oh, with your husband, <laughs> okay. the East family. Like yeah. you guys absolutely crush it. You have how, over a million subscribers on YouTube. Yes. And I was looking this morning at your page and I was just like, like most of these videos have over a million views. Insane. Like that's really difficult to do. Thank you. It's so cool. And and I've watched some of your stuff and I like enjoy all of it. I'm like, this is super entertaining. So I want to know how did that, how did the YouTube channel start? Uh, my husband. Uh, I was going to say, he seems like he's the driving force behind Oh, that. 100%. So um, I actually met him at the 2012 Olympics. Okay. That's how we how got that, how, How'd that happen? Um. I had a really good friend who is a track cyclist and I went to a track cycling event at the Olympics and met this guy named Guy East, who's my husband's brother. Okay. And he set us up on a blind date. And Oh, at, was it at the Olympics or was it? It was after? right when we got home. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And it worked out. I would not okay. have been able to meet Guy East if I was competing. So it worked out beautifully. Um, but when we got married, my husband was bouncing around the NFL and I was on tour for the Olympics and like performing still. So I didn't compete, but I ended up doing like the post Olympic tour where it's basically like Cirque du Soleil, but gymnastics. Um, <laughs> so that. it's basically that. Um, so we were doing, we were traveling separately all over the world and we were both having like ups and downs with like our careers and just everything. And he, just by nature documents literally everything, everything. There's always a camera out, which is a lot. Okay. Um, <laughs> I can see the one eyebrows raise when you yeah. say that. It's just always the wrong times. Um, but he had us both documenting everything and I didn't know it, but he had started a YouTube channel just to kind of like document his NFL career. And he got his NBA at Vanderbilt and had a buddy who was a YouTuber and he kind of taught him the whole backend analytics and um, business side of YouTube. Okay. And as a side hobby from the NFL, my husband started YouTube, like truly like making it a career and convinced me somehow to do it. And he's been the driving force behind it, but it's been, it's been really cool. It's been a challenge. It's like a whole new sport. It's weird. Yeah. I was, so I, I, I have a lot of questions because I think that a lot of people look at content creators and are just like, oh, they film stuff. They, you know, (laughs) throw it on the line and it is successful. And it's like, no, like content creation, people spend so much time doing it and it's specific and it's, you know, time intensive. And there's, there's, like you said, there's a back end algorithms, all that stuff that goes into it. Yes. So does it feel like at what point did you guys say like, oh, we want to actually do this as a job? Um, it took us a while. It took us a couple of years kind of like playing with it. But these mentors and friends of ours that were who were already YouTubers, um, it was a family and the dad was a Navy SEAL and he was oh, doing cool. that as a sideline job. Um, and he actually started it because he would film and create YouTube videos when he was in unknown locations where his family couldn't know 
Okay. And his family would make YouTube videos and post them anonymously on YouTube so they could kind of see what each other were doing. Um, but he learned back in and kind of taught us, but we played around with it for probably two years before we said, okay, let's kind of like stop doing everything else, potentially stop the NFL, potentially stop like, um, whatever I was doing. I don't know. <laughs> speaking engagements. I don't know. You're doing um, a lot. Like don't, don't downplay it. You a had lot. a lot. You, there was a lot of things that was going on, but we kind of did it, um, probably in 2017 when we yeah. made it like our full time. And it was, it, it is, it's a full-time consuming job. You're running um, an advertising firm, you're running a marketing firm, a production firm, like all at the same time. And for us, we saw it as kind of this like frivolous thing for many years before we happened upon a world of content creation that was really meaningful. And we ended up... <laughs> sad story kind of, but we had, we went through a miscarriage and I ended up posting a video about it. And for the first time in our life, um, I saw the internet as kind of like a two-way street where I didn't know how to get over something. And Mm. all of these followers and comments were actually like healing me. And so from then forward, we kind of made it our full-time job where we wanted to, to post fun and good quality content that, um, could potentially be like relatable to people. Yeah. Um, I did read about, um, you posting about your miscarriage and how that was kind of like a turning point in mm-hmm. y'all doing the YouTube channel. What made you want to post about that and share your story? Mm-hmm. My husband thought I was crazy when I said I wanted to post about that. Really? Um, yes. Because up until that moment, he had been the kind of driving force of like posting our life on, on YouTube, but it was also like fun and lighthearted Um, but it, and it was still very like polished. And I think from my background in athletics, I was taught to kind of never show your weak side. Like you don't show vulnerability. You're always like having the upper hand against your competitor Mm -hmm. and you always have to be like very polished and perfect. And when that happened, I had never felt that kind of loss before. I had never felt, I, I just felt like I, I didn't know how to take the first step forward. I had never heard of someone even like going through this it it seemed very taboo Mm. um and I felt very lost and I didn't even know how to like communicate with my husband and we had documented the whole thing obviously because my husband documents everything um and we are going to make a video just for us just to kind of keep it in our archives and I told him that I wanted to post it and I felt really compelled to and he was like no this is very vulnerable this is very raw this is like this is real stuff and I don't know why, but I, I, we got to a point where he agreed that since I felt so called to, we posted it. And I just remember sitting for hours and hours and days reading comments and crying and it truly being the sole thing that like healed my heart from that mm. loss, just yeah. hearing other people's stories of how they got through it. I didn't feel alone. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I feel like that is something that a lot of people have lost in the social media world is that there can be so much connection there. Yeah. And like you said, so much healing, especially when you are vulnerable and open. Um, And I think especially when it comes to issues that women face Mm -hmm. uh, over pregnancies, I've, you know, friends and um, I've, I've just in going through those things and seeing friends go through those things. Um, it is interesting how there's, there is that it happens so much. And like you said, it 
felt like a taboo subject or you know, mm-hmm. Andrew felt like it would be or is too vulnerable. But the more that we can talk about it and not normalize it, but it in a way that because it does happen to so many people and there is so much that needs to happen in terms of connection for that healing. Um, so I, I commend you for wanting to put that out there. And, and um, I'm sure you probably helped a lot of people through being that vulnerable and honest and, you know, sharing that story. Um, when it comes to the YouTube channel, like talk me through a, 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 a weekly cadence of like what it takes to be a YouTuber. Oh Lord. Um, <laughs> our life, it, it's like a 24 seven job, right? It is. Yeah. So we run technically seven shows. Um, wow. Kind of okay. Like, that's how we, uh, how it like organize it. it, organize it. So okay. we have two podcast channels. Nice. Um, we have a YouTube channel. We have, Facebook, Instagram, Reels, TikTok, and we see them all. So she's telling me. I love it. I um, love it. You've got somebody see, to help you keep track yeah. too. But we see them all as like um, a channel on Netflix. So mm-hmm. what we see as content creation is if you're a consumer of Instagram, you go to someone's channel and you you expect to see content. You want you want to see someone's life. And so we technically produce content for every one of those channels. Um, and so all day, Monday to Friday, pretty much, we are coming up with concepts, filming it, creating it based off of our life and what we're going through. And kind of like you're talking about with the miscarriage and kind of how we got started with that, our mission behind every single video is to be raw and real, to show our actual life um, and to, to create content that is like wholesome content to consume. I feel like I either want all social media to disappear for the rest of eternity, or we need to start consuming actually like good content. That's not clickbait and raunchy and trash. Um, I I couldn't agree more. So we're, we're attempting to try to do that. Um, But yeah, we're just literally on camera all day, which is a lot. (laughs) (laughs) How do you, how do you feel about that? Because you know, as an athlete, you guys, you know, you and Andrew, both athletes, a lot of your lives were in the spotlight, um, documented in a sense, but athletes aren't the same maybe as, you know, celebrities or actors in that world where they're, um, I mean, some athletes, I guess are, but was this, was it easy for you to have this much access to your life or was it something that you had to get used to and Andrew kind of had to like, be like, Come on, let's do it. Oh, after a million arguments with Andrew, I'm <laughs> like, it? you cannot post this. You cannot film me looking like this. Um, I really, we really had to work on like loosening the reins of what mm. we wanted to show. Um, I think from the athlete side, I was so used to showing that perfection and mm. making sure I looked and acted and said certain things and presented myself a certain way. And I never really saw myself being on the floor, like in front of a camera. I didn't want that. Again, I, I said earlier on, I'm painfully shy. So this is, it's, it can be difficult. Um, but in saying that, starting with that miscarriage video and now moving forward, every single day we're presented with comments and messages and mail from people who are related or like relate to our content or are getting through something through our content or are working with us back and forth. 
or we get to interview really, really interesting people. I mean, it's, it's an opportunity that is really cool. Um, it's still challenging every single day. A lot of times I don't want to be filmed, but, uh, (laughs) it's fun. It's rewarding. It truly is. Oh, I think you look great. And I don't think that you're, I mean, you might feel like you are painfully shy, but you are one of the easiest guests to talk to. So um, (laughs) I think that might just be uh, how you think you come off, but you're, I don't think you're as shy as you think you are. Um, Last question about the YouTubing. Do you see it as like, do you you see y'all's competitive side come out when you're doing it in the sense of like, oh, we want to make this content and get X number of views and like, you know, get this, these sponsorships and that sort of thing. Like, are you driven competitively in this entrepreneurial side of YouTube? Oh yes. That's what keeps us going. Lexi's laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yes. Very. It's, it's a game. It's fun business. And I think coming from both of our athletic backgrounds, doing a nine to five job would be very hard for us because that having that drive and competitiveness is hard to find in those. And with the content creation, we had to learn and teach ourselves everything. And there's like quantifiable numbers and like things that we can look at every single day that drive us to like compete and be better, which is really fun. And I think we finally got to a point where we're doing it for the right reason and not just for numbers or money. So it makes it more worth it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And and like you said, you're creating content that people have connection to. And um, it's a two-way street, which I think I that's what I would like to see social media become is it's not just people pushing something out there, comments coming back. It's like this, again, there's a connection to be made um, and found on social media and you can grow and learn from it. And like you said, specifically heal, which I think is really cool. Um, Again, love y'all stuff. I think you guys are hilarious and really, really enjoy what you put out there. So keep, keep doing it. I know you will. Okay. Taking up a lot of your time because you're, you're a busy lady. I know you are. Um, Closing questions for you. So what's the most difficult gymnastics move you can still do today? (laughs) I haven't tried anything in a while. Um, Today, it's been a minute since I've even played around. Last year was the last time I played before I got pregnant. I did, I can still like on a trampoline do a double, double layout. So, which is um, like a, a flip in like a stretched out position, but two of them in like, without touching yeah. the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that anymore, though. I've had two C sections now. So that's a little. Oh my gosh, that's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> wow. My my mom was a gymnast growing up and when we were kids, she would do an aerial. Like that was what yeah. I was just like, this is so cool. I can't believe your hands aren't yeah. touching the ground. Um, that's amazing. It's on my so- like checkoff list to try to do a standing back tuck every year now and I haven't attempted it yet so I need to all right let me know when you (laughs) uh, post some content about it um all right when was the last when was the last time you were on a balance beam oh uh we've already this is a deep sigh moment so we've already put my daughter in gymnastics so she does like a little gymnastics class and she's awesome with it I don't know how I feel about it yet but I I went there yeah I went there with her and I was like walking on the beam with her I love so, that. Yeah. All right. What's your favorite sport to watch today? Mm-hmm. I just love watching sport in general. Do you? Okay. Uh, oh, yeah. 
I even if I don't understand it, I love watching all any and all the like competition um, side of it. Yeah. So I don't know basketball, football, soccer, swimming. Cool track all of them all of them any anybody who's competing i know everyone yeah. always whenever we're at watching games or like epl they're like what's your team and i'm like i don't have a team i just enjoy yeah a good, a good game you know there's nothing better than that um snowboarding. oh my gosh snowboarding so cool to watch do yeah. you have you skied since your accident yes but okay. i'm a very cautious skier now <laughs> do you do you snowboard or do you ski i w- desperately want to learn how to snowboard but i, I- suck at it I feel like you should learn how to snowboard because I think it's safer for your knees. Yeah, I've heard that. But yeah. I've also heard it's like harder to go from skiing to snowboarding. It, it's just it's harder to learn snowboarding. It's easier to learn skiing, harder to progress. I think harder to learn snowboarding, easier to progress. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you just have to commit like a week, go to the mountain, take some lessons, maybe wear some like um, major knee, elbow knee and, butt pads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. What would be your most surprising or unusual piece of advice to a new mother? Oh, stop listening to people. Oh, I love that. Yeah. People have so many very strong opinions on how to do things and what's right and what's wrong. Right. Um, yeah. but they're not that kid's mom. So whatever you think is right for your kid is the best. Love it. Great advice. Um, if you weren't running a wildly popular YouTube channel, what would you be doing today? I always dreamt of being a doctor. Really? So okay. That uh, was what would be your um, like? I wanted to specification. Be, what is it called? Yeah. Um, what is it called? What is it? Uh, specialty. Your specialty. There we go. There you go. Yeah. Um, I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. That was oh. like my life. So. Wow. Can yeah. you handle blood and like? Oh yes. Oh. I've been in all operating rooms. I'm, oh my. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Kind of see like open heart surgeries. Oh, I love it. <sighs> Me? No, not so much. Could barely, <laughs> yeah. like I had to go like this when I'd watch Grey's on the television. Really? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So bad. I was like taking notes. I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is how it happens. Um, all right. How do you take your coffee? Oh, iced with oat milk and honey. Ooh, iced, um, like iced coffee or iced espresso? Iced espresso. Yeah. Okay. Oh, milk, honey. Nice. All right. All right. Even in the winter, iced. Pretty much. Or okay. in the winter, if I'm like need a hot one, I'll do like a almond milk or oat milk cappuccino. Okay. Nice. Got it. This feels really bougie. I need a I, black coffee <laughs> is what I need to say. No, I mean, that's like, a, I feel like that's a typical order. An yeah. alternative yeah. milk, uh, yeah. cappuccino, latte, that sort of thing. Um, okay. Last question. Okay. Who is the biggest inspiration in your life? I would say my husband. I love that. Yeah. He's not afraid to try anything and to learn anything. He could care less what anybody thinks about him. And he's just like unapologetically himself, which I would love to see in our kids and see more like of myself. Mm. So that's awesome. Well, shout out to the hubby. Um, Sean, this has been really enjoyable. Thank you so much for the time. I love this chat. Um, Excited to keep watching y'all's stuff. (laughs) See you you put out more. Um, And again, you've had an incredible career. And um, I know that you'll be able to like inspire so many people through YouTube and um, (laughs) just moving forward. So thank you again for coming on. Well, thank you. My pleasure. 
Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to tune in next week and hit the subscribe button to be alerted when a new episode drops. Our show is produced by Just Women Sports. For more amazing sports content, go to justwomensports.com and be sure to subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I'm Kelly O'Hara, and you've been listening to The Players Pod. See you next time.